Today, I really felt like I, I wanted to talk about the why of missions, the why of missions. Um, when I first came to Lighthouse 31 years ago, something like that, um, I didn't understand how church worked. Now, uh, okay, so I got born again, 17 years old, went to Bible college a year later, spent four years in an institution that taught me the scriptures. And so I've, I've had, uh, you name the book of the Bible, and I've had a class on it. I had major prophets minor prophets, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, uh, Paul's epistles, I had the Pentateuch, I had, I had classes on all of them. Um, but that doesn't teach you anything about church. Didn't know anything about church. You know, got, got saved and went to Bible college. That's basically what happened. And so I would sit in the office that I, that I uh, serve as lead pastor now. I was a staff pastor and I would come into the pastor's office. We do staff meetings in there. I'm talking real fast because we got a lot to cover in a short amount of time. I may need some espresso. I don't know. I don't know if your ears can keep up if I have espresso, though. Uh, so, I would, sit in the, I would sit in the office, and they would talk about all the different things that Lighthouse was going to do. This is back in, like, starting in 1990. And, uh, and they would talk about the calendar, and I would feel like I was doing good to plan this week. And they're planning six months out. And I would say, man, I feel like the guy that's on the tire swing. You remember the tire swings? You swing into the river? Man, I don't know what's... I got I got myself a little bit of a what do they call it wardrobe failure yeah something like that and uh, so uh, so I felt like I was swinging out to to land in the inner tube but 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 it had gone down the river already about you know fifty yards by the time I hit the water I I never could keep up with everything and 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 so I was a children's pastor for a while and Holly uh, Holly and I served as children's pastors here for the first five years and we were really blessed to be able to do that and I went on my first missions trip to Jamaica Sam and Tegan Jamaica. Just got back from their honeymoon. Woo! They're all embarrassed now. Isn't that how you feel when you come back from your honeymoon? You're all embarrassed. They've been, we know what you've been doing. <laughs> ah. Anyway, first missions trip to Jamaica and I loved going to the nations. I, I just, it, I was just ate up with it. And from then on now, uh, we, I've been in about 30 different nations and, and I didn't understand though. I didn't understand how missions was connected to the church uh, because you had, you had children's ministry and they had youth ministry, you know, and you had your Bible studies that were happening, but where's missions? Where's the, how does missions connect to the life of the body? And so I want to talk to you today about the why of missions, because missions is, is, we are a missions church just like we are a worshiping church. It's part of who we are. And for some of you that are, are just new to us, you need to understand this is, this is the life, this is the pulse, this is what keeps us alive. It's our connection to the nations. It's our worship of God and our connection to the nations. I'll show you how the two come together in a minute. Um, so it's, it's really important for us to understand that uh, if you're, if you're going to say that you're a worshiping church, you have to be, you have to be a missions church. 
And here's why. This is in your notes, even if it's the paper notes. Uh, this is a, a section out of John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And, uh, and it's, it's probably, probably a, a, what I would call a primer for anybody that's going to go into missions somewhere along the line. They probably read this because it's been around for 20-some years. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Say that with me. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of peoples in the greatness of God. All right, and you'll meditate on that for the next two weeks. You'll forget about what I say, but you'll think about that. Uh, Psalm 97 1 The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice. Psalm 96 3 uh, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. When we talk about the importance of missions, we have to first talk about the, the call to worship uh, as, a, as a human being, as a person of God that's created in the image and likeness of God, that we have to come before the Lord and really understand who He is. Because if we don't worship first, then our service become, moves into, into just functioning out of duty. We, we begin to do things, well, it's just the right thing to do. But God doesn't want us to serve him out of duty. He wants us to serve him out of delight. He wants us to delight ourselves in him. We're going to get to Psalm 37, 4 in a minute. But uh, he wants us to delight ourselves in him. And so in your notes, Sunday worship of the living God should result in a reflection of his glory throughout the week. I, I shared about the, uh, the presence and about God's glory some weeks ago. And, uh, and, and here is a passage, I think, that brings the two pieces together that we're talking about. It's from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, this is Isaiah speaking when he's in the presence of God. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, up until that time, anybody that uh, knew anything about the Lord had, had lived under the understanding that if they saw God, they would die. That their flesh would not be able to stand in God's presence and, and so here is Isaiah, he's a prophet, and, he, and, and the Lord sweeps him up and he has this power encounter and he sees the very throne room of God. And you can read about it in Isaiah 6. And, and he sees the, the, the living creatures flying around with all of the eyes and he sees the, the threshold shaking and the smoke and, and, and he's in the presence of God and he knows it and he says, oh, it's over for me, I'm done. Right? And here's what God does. It says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Your sin atoned for. You know, a, a prophet 
is responsible for what he would speak. And the very first words of Isaiah chapter 6 start off, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died. If you go back into Chronicles, you, you can read the story of Uzziah and how that the unique way that King Uzziah died was that King Uzziah, with his unrestrained pride, went into the temple and he offered sacrifice and he wasn't supposed to. And when, when he, when he uh, offers sacrifice, leprosy breaks out on him and he, you know, is in fear for his life and he, he dies. And instead of being remembered for all the good things he did, he died and his epitaph was he had leprosy. Well, a prophet was to restrain the king. A prophet was to speak on behalf of God and set things in order in the kingdom. And Isaiah would have been a contemporary of Uzziah. So he's not feeling real good about his ministry work. He's not feeling like he's, he's where he needed to be. He recognizes that, that he has sinned by not speaking up, by not restraining, by not doing what he needed to do. And, and the things that had happened in the kingdom, he bore some level of responsibility. So when he comes into the presence of God, he, the first thing on his mind is, I'm a man of unclean lips. When we get into the presence of God, aren't we self-conscious? When we get into the presence of God, I'm a man of unclean mind. I'm a man of unclean hands. I'm a man of unclean feet. My feet have gone places they shouldn't. I'm a man of whatever it is. You know, when we get into the presence of God, he begins to deal with us. And here's the beautiful pattern that you see. God atones for your sin. He doesn't make him step out from where he's at and go do some penance and say, go, go do 20 Hail Marys and 50 Our Fathers. He says, here, let me take care of your sin for you. He just cleanses him. He comes out of his presence. The, the, tongue, the angel takes the, the, the tongs and touches Isaiah's lips, and he says, whoa, your sin is atoned for, right? Wow, isn't it amazing when you get in the presence of God and you feel forgiven? I'm not, I'm not all about just emotions and touchy-feely, but you got to have faith to know that God has cleansed you. you got to have faith to know that God has healed you. God has cleansed your life, right? And, and so we need to be those people that recognize that. And so he says, then I heard the voice of the Lord. Just as soon as he's cleansed, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And if you read the rest of Isaiah's story there, you find that uh, God is calling this prophet to do a hard, hard work. That you're going to keep talking and they're going to keep not listening. That don't look for results in the people. One preacher said to me years ago, he said, pastor, always remember the sheep are the work and not the wage. That Jesus has your reward. That you may never see the results that you're hoping for. That you believe down on the inside that the people could have. But he said that's not where you get your reward from anyway. Jesus is the one who rewards you. That was a good word for this young pastor. Here's the thing I want you to get a hold of today. Serving God without worshiping God first is dead works. Are you with me? Worship cleanses our consciences, our motives, and our thoughts before God. Without worship, our service stinks of pride, flesh, and duty. 
it's, you know, what, what ends up happening in, in our lives as a body of Christ is, you know, there is always more work to be done. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, you, you know we want to get people saved, but when we get people saved, you know, they never come complete. They never come in pristine condition. They get born again, and, and you know what? Wait a minute, I thought you were saved, but you're still acting like you ain't saved. How many of you know you catch a fish? You got to clean it. No wonder some of y'all are into catch and release. You don't want the mess. Some of y'all evangelists, you're just like that. I, Pastor, I did my job. I caught them. That mess is all yours. You can have it. You know, <laughs> I got some amen down there. I know. I was preaching to you, Bruce. Did you catch it? You caught it. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so here's the deal, right? We know, we know that, uh, that sanctification is a process. So how do you speed up the process of sanctification? You get, you drag that carcass of yours into the presence of God in worship as often as you can. And you let the Lord cleanse you. You let the Lord change you. You, let, you get yourself transformed into his likeness by being in his presence. Why? Because as you do, he will cleanse your attitudes. He'll cleanse your motives. He'll, he'll keep you in check. He'll keep you out of the doghouse in your marriage. I've had the Lord tell me so many times. He, sometimes he calls me boy. And I don't know that he says this, but sometimes I hear the word jerk. You're being a jerk. I, sometimes I hear that. I don't, I don't know if that's me or the Lord. It wasn't my wife because she's never used that phrase. But, uh, uh, but <laughs> one college student I met said one time, he said, I never heard the audible voice of God. And then I got married. When we get into the presence of the Lord, he makes the corrections on the inside of us. How many of you know it's easier to receive correction from our Father than, than somebody else correcting, right? I mean, I just instantly get on the defensive, right? As soon as, as, soon as you, you know, you should, I can, I can tell you what's wrong with your life. No, I got the bigger list. I got, I got the really long list of stuff that you don't even know. I, and so if you want to start there, I could go there. But it's better when the Lord does it. Isn't it? And, and so when we worship God, he, he, we get into his presence and he cleanses us. He changes us from the inside out. And, and, it, and then the service that we do for God has the fragrance of life attached to it. You know, I mean, some of y'all, some of y'all, you know, I get working in the yard and sometimes I stink. And that probably doesn't happen to you. Like your sweat probably does. And some of you ladies, you don't even sweat. You just glisten. But man, the flesh stinks, doesn't it? You know? Oh, honey, go take a bath. You know? But when we worship the Lord, the, our, works, our works are cleansed. And when we get into the presence of God, he takes the stench of flesh off of what we do. And people say, man, that looks just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Isn't that the way Jesus would do it? just like Jesus. And that's, that's what we're hoping for. And here is Isaiah in the presence of God. He is, is close to the center of the core of the universe as you could, one person could possibly be. And what does the Father say? Hang out here for a little while 
Spend more time in my presence, Isaiah? God muses within the ear of the prophet, who shall I send and who will go? Who will go? Who will go for us? There will always be a tension between gathering people and sending people out. There will always be a tension for pulling people into the presence of God and sending them back out into the, into the darkness, into the highways, into the hedges, into all of those places. There will always be a tension, and we need to be okay with that. You, you're never going to resolve it. I wish we could just stay in the presence of God and let the world go to hell. What's the alternative? Keep all the salt in the shaker? We're the salt of the earth, not the salt of the church. We're the light of the world, not the light of the church. Right? So we've got to recognize those tensions. So our our worship should connect us with God's glory, his substance. Let me share with you some words about the, uh, some scripture about the glory of God. John 1, 14, this is what John says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, I just preached on this a few weeks ago. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Um, Isaiah 43, 6, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Here's the thing that God wants you to know. When you experience his glory, you should take great delight in him. You should delight in God. Not in your own knowledge of God, but in God himself. I know more than you do. You know what you just communicated to me? Your pride. But we all have access to the presence of God. And isn't that awesome? And isn't it amazing that your father can love you with an everlasting love. With this replete uh, fullness of love. And not love me any less than he loves you. Isn't that amazing? And God doesn't love one color of human being more than another color of human being. Thank God for that. And God doesn't love people who have money uh, less or more than he loves people who have no money. God doesn't look at any of that. He just loves because God is love. And, and so we all have access in this one person. Uh, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me, let me just pose a question to you because this happens to me from time to time. I'm talking with people. Pastor Ken, you know, I kind of came up in, in a house. We didn't have a whole lot of money and now I got a little bit of money. I'm, I'm feeling weird about, you know, having a, a nice car and a nice house. Don't feel weird about it. Don't, don't, uh, go, don't go out to try to impress people. But if God has provided for you, praise God. He gives us all things richly to enjoy right? Um, Don't let things have you. It's okay for you to have things, but don't let things have you. 
Well, I don't know what to do with these desires that I have for, for certain things. Okay, here's, here's one of the things. This is how you check it. This is how you understand it. Um, uh, the word says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart. Now, if you are fully delighting in God and you delight in God to the degree that his desires become your desires... You will always get what you desire. Are you tracking with me? If you're saying, I am so fully satisfied in God that I feel like I I don't need anything more. There's nothing more that I could ever have need of. I have everything I need in God. And and yet, there's a, a desire for what God wants rises up on the inside of you. Hey, I want to be able to bless this person. Hey, I want to be able to do, I want to have enough to do this over here for that person or whatever, whatever. Because God's blessed me and I want to be able to do something for somebody. Guess what? You'll have what you desire. And God will provide it. He'll say, oh, I found somebody that delights themselves in me. And we can partner together and, and, and what I want done, their desires and my desires are one. There are things that, that Holly enjoys that as, a, that as a husband, I just enjoy providing them for her. Pillows on the bed are not one, but that's okay. <laughs> Working on that sanctification. But they're, they're, you know, her desires, because we are one, her desires, I'm like, okay, honey, I'm your yes man. What do you want done? I'm, I'll, I'll make it happen for you. So we, we work on that together, our desires together. And so, so, so it's the sharing of it. It's the delighting of a relationship. And you have that with God. You have that with God. Now, how does that apply to missions? How does that apply to missions? Oh, I love this last line by John Piper. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Can I, can I just tell you, stop trying to please God. You are in Christ. That pleases the Father. This is the work of God, Jesus said, to believe in the one he has sent. This is the work, the work of God, to believe, to believe. And if you find yourself lacking somewhere, it could be that you haven't, you haven't seen Jesus the way Jesus wants you to see him yet. And if you'll see Jesus, then that satisfaction will rise up on the inside of you and you'll be delighting in God again. You'll be delighting, you'll see him, oh, you know, and in the seasons of our lives, we need to, we need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. What, who Jesus was to me as a 17-year-old young man is different than the Jesus I know at 54. Why? We've been on this journey together. We've been walking together. He shows me things about himself. He shows me things about my life. And, and you know, and here's the thing. He knows me better than anybody, and he loves me. Isn't that a great thought? Like, you can't please him any more than you already do just by believing in him. You know, so you walk that out. So, why do we ask you to pray for missionaries and the mission of God? After 31 years, when I go over our list of missionaries, most of the missionaries on our list, I, have, I, I know personally, I've traveled with them, I've been in their country. Uh, most, of, most of the folks on the list that have come out of a relationship that I have with them. Now, for me, this is very, very important. 
Um, when, when we first started out 31 years ago, um, and we were working with the missionaries, and we'd have missionaries come through, and they'd do a service, and then we'd pick them up and, and, and do a monthly support for them. Like in the early days, it was like $50 a month, and that kind of thing. And you didn't really build a whole lot of relationship with them, because for them, it was a numbers game. They needed, they needed $5,000 a month or $10,000 a month continuing support, and so they had to rack up $50 a month. That's a lot of churches to get that to get to that ten thousand dollar a month uh, nut to crack, right? So, so they couldn't do a lot of relationship. But I always had it in my heart that Lighthouse was supposed to be a sending church. That we were going to, that God was going to use us to raise up missionaries from within, that he was going to use us to connect with missionaries overseas. And so over time, Kurt Holtis met Kurt Holtis the first time a week after the Haiti earthquake a number of years ago. And uh, he's a friend of Tim Enlow's. And Tim said, hey, hey, Kurt already has a connection. The, the island is the Dominican Republic and Haiti. I didn't even know that until the earthquake happened. And I'm like, oh, DR, I don't know anything about the Dominican Republic. I don't know anything about Haiti. And, uh, but Kurt had a connection already there. Um, the Spirit Airlines paid our fare to go down there. I mean, it, everything just came together. And I spent a week with Kurt, fell in love with uh, his ministry and what he does in the DR. And we've been back there several times. Yesterday in the missions meeting, Matt Tallman, uh, a guy who used to run the Chi Alpha ministry at uh, Norfolk State, uh, uh, William and Mary, and ODU, uh, he was a, a Chi Alpha campus minister there. He is now a missionary to Kenya. And we had Matt on Zoom with us, and he has a ministry in Kenya in Eldoret that has 350 kids in uh, children's homes right there on the property. They they owe a lot of, uh, uh, own a lot of acreage there, um, and they have a uh, a farming or you know system, and they have chickens, and they have eggs, and they uh, almost over half of their support is is done right there. And they built that thing for in the last probably close to 15 years. Matt is a personal relationship that is that. That connection happens. When we, what, what I, I want to illustrate to you is that when we pray for missionaries, we get to know them, uh, and now the, they are part of us. They're an extension of who we are. These are our friends. These are our relationships. They, they're, not just a, they're not just a face on a page. These are people that we love, people that we know, right? And, and I believe this is the way God extends family. I love what Pastor Catherine said. Today we are emanizers. I love that. I love that. Why? Be, because that, that little guy is part of our family, right? And, and so when we pray for missionaries, we're saying, to, we're, we're saying, God, we are part of your family. They are part of our family, and we want to connect with them. So that's, it, it, all of this happens in the heart, right? Um, secondly, why do we ask you to go on short-term missions trips? Um, can I just tell you that, that when you go uh, on site somewhere, God will speak to you. Every trip I've ever been on God speaks to me. Every time I get myself out of context, God will talk to me about my life while I'm there. In 2003, I went to Uganda to be a part of a pastor's conference, and Sandy McElfresh and her husband Tom, who's with the Lord, uh, they said, hey, we're going down to this place called Rockeye. And the Rockeye district in Uganda is ground zero for HIV AIDS. It's where the chimp population, the virus that was in the chimp population that was causing chimps to be sick passed over into the human population through chimp hunters who ate the meat uh, of the chimps that they had killed. 
And so it decimated the population. Uh, it's, it's nothing in Rock Eye but orphans and widows for many, many years. Uh, you know, at that time in 2003, that's where Eldad was. Eldad had a, if, if, if you're a friend with me on Facebook, then Eldad's probably gotten to you already. He, he, you already know who Eldad is because uh, he, he's a master of social media. And uh, so Eldad at the time um, was, a, was a young pastor and his church was uh, about 30 people. He started probably four or five churches by that time, but Rock Eye was by far the hardest place he'd been. And, uh, and th- there was a man there called the King of Rock Eye. There was a, a lot of uh, witchcraft, um, a lot of spirit- spiritists uh, around there. And so we walked and we prayed. We took, we took the Attack Lambs book. I had a book called Frank De- uh, by Frank DiMaggio called The Making of a Leader. And I'm just like, I'm sewing it into Eldad's life. 2003, we walked and we prayed for about two or three days. And within, would you know that within 90 days, his church jumped from 30 to 90. You know, just, just in a three-month span of time. And he'd been there a couple of years. But God began moving, and we stayed in connection with Eldad. And uh, through the years, this church has uh, paid Eldad's way through school. Now Eldad is a bishop in, in that part of Uganda. He started nine churches personally. Um, he is uh, on the radio station daily. We uh, sent, uh, I think it was last year or two years ago, we sent about $8,000 to help finish the radio station that he has. Um, he, he baptizes 40 to 50 people a month on average. He's a, a bishop with about 150 churches under him. Um, And all of that has come because this church right here sent a short-term trip in 2003 where we could go and we could see what what God is doing and say, God, what do you want us to do to get involved in what you're doing? So short-term trips. How many of you in this room have been on a short-term missions trip before? Raise your hand. Short-term trip. All right, Andy, look around. You, You see the harvest, brother. You see the harvest. All right. Um, so we've got, we're going to set up trips next year. We're going to have probably six or seven different trips to different parts of the world. Why? Because we've got to carry the gospel. We've got to go support our missionaries. Um, you know, it's, it's so, so important for, we to do, for us to do that. Um, thirdly, why do we ask you to give to missions? Today we're going uh, to bump up our faith promises. We started them back in January. Let me tell you. Um, while the gospel is free, it costs money to preach it around the world. The message of the gospel is free. Oh, it's so easy, Pastor Ken. Yeah, but plain fare, keep the lights on somewhere, help missionaries get where they're at. You know, all of that costs money. And in order for us to, to have the heart of God... We have to be involved in giving. The, the Bible uh, implies this. You can, you can uh, give without loving, but you can't love without giving. John 3, 16. For God so loved that he what? He gave. You could have a loving God, but if he never gave us Jesus, we wouldn't know about the love of God. We wouldn't know what it was that God had in his heart. Right? And so it's through the act of giving that we extend our compassion and that God expands our hearts, that He expands our love for people that we don't even know. There's going to be a reward someday for you and I who have given to the gospel, and there will be people that we will meet around the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will find out are there because of our giving. 
While you were keeping your lights on at home, while you were putting braces on the kid, in the kids' mouths, while you were doing everything that you were doing, you were sowing in to a nation and a missionary took the gospel to a village and they got born again and we're not going to hear about it until eternity. And we're going to have some wonderful conversations in eternity. It's going to be so amazing. You know, uh, uh, so w- this is where Lighthouse is now. We are, we are starting to move into uh, uh, a mission sending mode that we've never been in before. Uh, a lot of that has to do with, well, all of it has to do with the team that God has assembled in missions. Andy is the team lead for that. But we're able to do things now that we've never done. In years past, for many, many years, missions money would come in, missions money would go back out. Missions money would come in just enough to support the missionaries that we already have. Well, a couple years ago, we had a missions dinner, we raised some money, and, and we've been adding to that account and I don't know, at the moment, I think it probably has about $33,000 in it. And, uh, and so we're able to do things that we've never done. Let me tell you a quick story about that. So, uh, so when COVID hit, um, just before COVID hit, uh, a, a, a couple came to Lighthouse uh, by the name of Rolando and Laura. And Rolando and Laura came uh, to Lighthouse. They had been in uh, Youth with a Mission for nine years. They've been down in Costa Rica. And so they felt led to go back. We began talking with them about the whole process of them going back. And then they got a call. This just happened in May. They got a call and they said uh, the, the directors of the home where, where they were at uh, and were going to go back to, uh, that those directors were moving out. And they called them and they said, hey, can you come back in June? And, uh, and, and so Laura and Rolando and I and Andy, we all sat down and they began to talk to us, um, all of their support. And, and it wasn't much that they needed, maybe about $1,500 a month, which if you're in, in missions and you can get by on $1,500 a month, that's pretty amazing. Uh, and uh, they didn't need a whole lot, but they had nothing. And uh, so some, some, some of you stood with them and, and were helping them, but they were still about $4,000 shy cash and they had no monthly support uh, set up. And so Andy and I were able to sit with them. The other part that was really precious was that, uh, was that Laura said, you know, Pastor Ken, for the last nine years that I've been on the field, she said, I don't feel like, she said, I've never had a ascending church. She said, my pastor didn't support me when I went on the field because I was a woman and I was a part of a, a, a Baptist church that didn't believe in women in ministry and I was going with Youth with a Mission, which is charismatic. And so he couldn't, they, they didn't back us. Nobody from home backed us. We got married and she said, we've been living on the field. She said, Lighthouse is where we feel home. Lighthouse is, is, is what we feel like church ought to be about and ministry ought to be about and we love it here. And, and I just, it was out my mouth before. I knew I was asked, can I be your pastor? I want to be your pastor. Can I be your pastor? And she broke down and we had, you know, we had a moment, you know, and, uh, and so we're talking and, and, and so we're like, okay, tell us what your needs are. Well, the other thing that was, is really cool about what God has done is that God um, has been working with uh, Kay Helm uh, to develop a thing called Mission Writers because a lot of times when you have missionaries on their field, they're good at what they do, but they don't know how to write their story and raise support. 
And in order to keep them there, they need somebody to come alongside and say, this is how you tell the story. This is what the pictures ought to look like. This is what communicates well. And, and, and really to do, to do that, you know, kind of the, the back end work to keep them there. And so I was like, you need to get a hold of Kay. You need to sit down with Kay and we can work with you to build that monthly support base so that you can stay there. So we sat with them and, and she and Kay connected and they're working on all of that kind of stuff together. But man, their faces, when we stroked him a check for $4,000 and said, you can go back in June. Lighthouse, you did that. Andy and I were the ones at the table, but you did that. That was your giving. That was amazing. That was amazing. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better than that. So, so beautiful. When people say, I will go to another part of the world, I will leave my family in the comforts of home, and I will go where God wants me to go. I live in a nice house. I live in a good part of Gloucester. I don't know if there's a bad part of Gloucester. It's all Gloucester. It's America. And I haven't had to change my culture. I don't really speak Guinea. I could work on my Guinea. But what have I left behind? And you got people that are saying yes to Jesus and they're going to another part of the world and they're leaving everything, but they're going to miss every birthday, every Christmas, every Thanksgiving. They're going to miss all that daily stuff that keeps our, keeps our noggin intact mentally here in the U.S. because we're familiar with our culture. And they're going to go there and we can't do something to help them get there? Come on. Why do we give? Because somebody's got to go. And they can't get there unless we send them. That's our part. That's our part. That is our part. And, and so you and I, and through our faith promise giving, this is, this is how we raise that, that support, through our faith promise giving. Can, I, can you give me a card? That's the other thing I left out there. You guys are getting your steps in today. This is a faith promise card. Look in your, uh, there should be some in the chairs around you. Uh, we started this in January. The way we raise money for missions is this. Uh, your tithe belongs in the local church. It is the Lord's. The tithe is the Lord's, the Bible says, right? And so, uh, so your, your, your giving that's based on your income, that's the tithe. This is an offering. And an offering is when you get before the Lord and you say, Lord, what do you want to give through Ken Kramer to missions? Now, you wouldn't say Ken Kramer. That's my name. That'd be weird. That'd be weird. What do you want to give through? Yeah, don't, don't get faith for my giving, okay? You get faith for your own. And uh, so, so what, what do you want to give to missions through me this year? What do you want to do through me this year to give to missions? And Holly and I have done faith promise giving for many, many years. Can I tell you that I believe the reason that we are so blessed financially is because we do faith promise giving. And I'm saying personally for my family, for my family. Now, we're blessed as a congregation for the same reason. But you can have, a, you participate with God when you say, because uh, the, the scripture says, for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. That doesn't, that's not talking about the tithe because the tithe is a, pre, pre, uh, a pre-prescribed amount with the measure you use. In other words, you get before the Lord and you say, Lord, what do you want to do through me 
for missions this year. And so here we are in its June, and, and every second uh, Sunday we talk a little bit about missions, and uh, we want to see our, our missions dollars grow and then go. We want to be able to do what we do in missions. And so what we do is we pray. I'm gonna, in just a moment, we're going to pray. And I want you to ask the Lord what he wants to give through you to missions this year. We're already half the year's gone. So you're thinking at the six-year mark, not the 12-month mark. And, uh, and, and you will participate with the Lord in what he wants to do. Let me tell you how the Lord does me. So in my mind, I'm sitting there and saying, okay, I'm not going to sit here and consult. I know how much I got coming in. I know how much I got going out. I know I got some bills on the horizon. I don't know what I'm going to da 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 It doesn't work that way. If you consult what you have, you don't know what God wants to pour through you. So you ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to give through me? God gave me a number at the beginning of the year. Let me show you how this works for me. So six months in, um, I did, a, I did a, a, a wedding a little while ago, and I was doing the premarital counseling, and the couple said, hey, what do we pay for you uh, to do our wedding? I said, well, let me, let me put it to you like this. I said, uh, I've had as little as zero and as much as 500 been paid for a wedding. And I said, so whatever you want to do is totally fine with me. So a couple showed up at my house the other day, and they had a card for me because I had to leave the wedding a little early. And, uh, and they, they, they came by the house, and he said, Pastor, I want to tell you something. He said, when you told me that, uh, he said, the first thing in my mind was, I think I'll just do 250. That'd be right in the middle. He said, then I had this other thought. And he said, no. I want to give Pastor Ken a raise because I know he's going to say the same thing every time when he meets with a couple. I want to give him a raise. So, Pastor Ken, there's $1,000 in that, in that envelope for you. He said, that way, whenever anybody asks you how much it costs to do a wedding, <laughs> he said, I figure I just gave you a lifetime raise. <laughs> Isn't that great? So I said, I, I tell you what, uh, you know, immediately I thought, there's, there's a big chunk of my faith promise. Totally unsolicited. Totally didn't have to go out and get a new job. Totally didn't have to do. Just did my thing. And the favor of the Lord is, you know, the favor of the Lord on it. I didn't have anything to do with that. I said, okay, God, I know that that is going for missions. So, praise God. God will, God will bless you. He will expand what he wants to do through you. And what, what does it do? It builds your faith. That's why it's called a faith promise. You fill this out. We're not going to dog you. We're not going to say, hey, you didn't pay your... It's, not, it's between you and God. This is just a reminder. You're not, you're not writing anything down that we're keeping up with. We, we have a total amount. You see it on, on the bottom of the sheet every week. This is a total amount that was, that was pledged for faith promises so far. I think it's just over 50-some thousand or something like that. And you, and you see what's come in. But we don't, we don't track it. It's between you and the Lord.